Good morning. We've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. When I was a young evangelical Christian, and um, you know, for, for some of you, I was young once, uh, with, all, with all the things that go with being young, and uh, I was always a bit suspicious of the Sermon on the Mount, because I was a young evangelical, and we knew that faith grace and God's forgiveness came from faith alone, right? We, can only get, we can't get to heaven by works, only by faith. Um, so I was always a bit suspicious of this Sermon on the Mount, which seemed to suggest that, you know, unless we do this, unless we do that, you know, we, we can't get to the kingdom of God and all that stuff. Um, but as you, get, as you get older and you see what a beautiful message it was. It seemed to be here at least at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and he was unfolding something completely new and you wonder why, you know, what was his intention on giving the Sermon of the Mount? He, he says initially he's addressing his disciples but gradually it became clear that the, the masses were there and right at the end of it, it says the people were delighted because Jesus spoke with authority, not like the Pharisees and the scribes. In other words, they were hearing something of God through what he was saying that wasn't just reiterating the law and you must do this, this and this. He was putting within them faith and hope and something and he was almost also saying that that the, the poor, the humble, the meek, the uneducated they've just as much chance as the Pharisees and the intelligent and all those people. Um, and I, you know, so there was a message of hope in this. And in fact, the Sermon on the Mount doesn't really say anything new. In many ways, it is, it is just um, reiterating, reaffirming the law that they knew from their, the, the law and the prophets. And there's nothing new in it, except that what he was offering was a total new understanding of God's laws and God's ways. He was, uh, he was, he was, re- he was wanting to say, that, you know, the law itself, you know, it goes so far. But what I'm really calling you to is something totally new, totally fresh, as we will see. And um, before we, my, my, uh, the, the, the passage that um, Terry very nicely gave to me, Matthew 5, 21 to 26. Before I, before I get onto it, I'd just like to review the, the passage just before it, which Terry talked to us about a couple of weeks ago. So let's read this. Um, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, 
you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I just wanted to see there, here's Jesus saying, um, I've not come to abolish the law. Now, there there must be some sort of pre-story to that, because why would he start off a sermon saying, I've not come to abolish the law? What is... What, what, there's, there's a story behind that and there must be the story is that he's speaking against so much of what was going on in the Jewish religious culture of the day and they already knew it and this, this sermon is constantly having a go at the legalism of the law saying it's not good enough, it's not good enough but he says I have come to fulfil it now I know I've said this here before you know, one of the, what does it mean when Jesus said, I come to fulfill the law? And I love that picture, actually. I was trying to find a picture on the internet, but I couldn't. But here's Jesus saying, here is the law. The law's written in words, line upon line, precept upon precept. It's a crude way of trying to describe what God wants for us human beings. It's, it's a crude way, it's trying to, you know, it's a, bit like, it's a bit like someone trying to write down how do you drive a car and trying to explain every precept about driving a car. And you know that driving a car in the end is a whole sort of body experience. And Jesus is saying, here I am, here is a whole body experience of what the law means. I am the fulfilment of the law. Look at this life in flesh and blood And you'll see what God's intention was with the law. This is what he wants us to be. What was described crudely in in precepts is now fulfilled in flesh and blood. I love that. And it's more than that because in order for that, it wasn't Jesus saying, come and look at me and see how good I am. He's saying, look, here I am, but you can be just like that. You can be the same. All right, so in fulfilling the law, he's showing what the example is and then he's now about to go through the process to to, um, justify us according to the law, to make us right and then to give us the power through the Holy Spirit to embody God's purposes in our lives. And I do love love that that passage in Galatians, uh, the Galatians, um, Galatians chapter 5. But this is Paul. So we've had Jesus. He's gone through it. Now Paul has got the revelation of Jesus and knows what it is to live. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So what Paul is Paul is speaking this out now himself, saying, if you're living according to the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit will grow. And we don't have to force that, um, that Spirit out. I remember we had the uh, General Secretary of the um, Evan- Evangelical Alliance speaking to us some years ago, uh, Joel Edwards, that's his name. And he's saying we ought to be less... Uh, less concerned about theology and more concerned about triology because he said that uh, because he said actually if our roots are in the right place and we're growing and nurturing 
The fruit comes naturally. We don't have to squeeze it out. It comes. It's there. It's the natural result of, of a healthy, healthy tree. And so if the tree's healthy, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. All right? Because if that's what you're showing, if that's what you're like, there's no law. No, there's no law that's going to argue against you. This is the will of God for our lives. This is the, the nature of God for our lives. So, so um, over, over the next few sections of, um, of the Sermon on the Mount, we get this, um, Jesus repeatedly calls out the legality of the scribes and Pharisees. He's saying, you know, he's, he's saying, listen, they're telling you. And, and it's not that they're wrong, it's just the way they're presenting it. It's almost like, you know, looking down on you, looking down on you, looking down on you, saying, this is what you've got to be, you know, this is it. And he's constantly calling them out. So he says, section by section, he says, you have heard it was said. You have heard it was said. You have heard it was said. And you'll find it, each section over the next few sections of this chapter, you have heard it was said, because it was said in the synagogue, because it comes from the scriptures, the law and the prophets. You have heard it was said. But then he says, but I tell you, but I tell you. So he's, say, he's saying, you've heard it said, and it was said, and it's right, but I tell you something new. I've got a message I'm going to reinterpret all this in a totally new way. Okay, so that's, that's the preamble. And now we're going to get into our, our scripture for today. Um, and we're, go we're going to read it. And it says this. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. That's quite, quite sort of severe, isn't it? It's, it's not a comforting message, really, that message. And depending on which um, version you've got there, m many versions will entitle this section, Murder, right? And as I said, um, I mean, is there anyone here who's murdered anyone? You know, it's almost... Like, it's a sort of simple one, isn't it, really? Because we all, we all agree that murder's bad and a relatively small proportion will actually murder people. So this is an easy one, isn't it, really? You shall not murder. 
But you see, as you read through the passage, this is not murder about murder at all. It starts off as being about anger. And what, what Jesus is saying is that, that actually there, there, is, there is righteous anger. We know from the other scriptures that there is a place for righteous anger. Jesus got angry in the temple when he saw the house of God being used as a, as, as a marketplace. Um, we get angry about injustice and abuse. And it's quite right that we should do. So there's, there's a place for anger. So it's not saying that anger is totally wrong. But this is a different anger. This is a brooding, a brooding sort of anger. An anger that you won't let go. An anger that you have towards a person or people or the world or the government or whatever. It's an anger that you carry inside you that you won't let go. That's what he's talking about. And what, and what Jesus is saying, that that sort of anger is like murder. Right? In, his, in his view, it's like murder. It's the same thing and will get the same penalty. Right? High... High calling. This is not a, this is not an easy one, is it? Who's who's not angry about something? So I think it's so. I think we we've got to you know in a way he's now putting putting a standard upon us which is way beyond us. Of course, I think he's setting us up. Jesus is setting us all up in this passage, and it's easy for me to say that because we see the scripture in its wholeness. He's setting us up because he's saying, none of us, none of us can say we're, we're achieving this. Not one of us. We're all failing. We're all on our way to something. Um, we're, we're all on our way to judgment. And until we become humble, Pharisee, poorest person, Whoever, unless we humble ourselves, we're on our way to, to, to judgment. It's all about our hearts, what's inside of us. Everything's about what's inside of us. He goes on to say, um, goes on to talk about saying, you know, you, you'll go and they say in the court if you call someone Raka. Now, Raka. Nobody seems to know quite what raka means, but it was a term of offence. It, um, it, it was someone slandering. It was someone being slandered, uh, calling someone a brainless idiot, a silly fool, you know, something like that. And, and that was considered quite um, serious in the courts, and they would, they, they would be taken to a court for it. But um, it was a word of arrogant contempt and Jesus Jesus basically saying listen we're all made in God's image we're all we are made in God's image that image may be fractured it may be uh, broken in us and and corrupted you know none of us are perfect but we are still in God made in God's image all right Elias you are made in God's image not perfectly but you're made in God's image and uh, even Gary, can you imagine that? Gary, made in God's image. And if you start to insult and throw abuse 
what you're doing is you're insulting God. And, and God, God treats that really seriously. And so it's, this, it, it's all about what's inside. It's really saying that if, if what's inside, you sort out what's inside, what, come, what your actions will be will, will, will naturally follow, you know, like the fruit of the Spirit. If your inside's good, what will come out is love, joy, peace. If your inside is full of anger, it will come out in abuse, in, in harshness, in, in so on. And, you know, I think he was inferring that that's what the Pharisees were like because he says later, doesn't he, about whited sepulchres or being all clean on the outside and filthy on the inside. His inferring is that, that, you know, we can go about our religious, our Christian, doing all our Christian stuff. We can attend the prayer meetings. We can come to church. We can take communion. We can, uh, we, we can even go and be a street pastor or serve dinner to the poor. But if our insides are not right, it means nothing. So, um, so Jesus then talks about calling someone, you fool. And he's saying that words matter. Words matter. Right? And... I know that I've, I learned this fairly early on, actually, in my life, that it's wrong, it's, it's really dangerous to call, to, 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 say, to, to say to someone, fool, you're a fool, or you're an idiot, you're a, you know, because what you're doing is you're making a judgment on them and putting some sort of curse. There's a curse that you put on them. You know, you say, you are a fool, and what does that person receive? Something inside them says, I'm a fool, I'm an idiot. I'm a... Now, what you can say is, what you did there was foolish, right? That was foolish, that was unwise, that was stupid what you did. That is very different than saying, you fool. Very different indeed. And we need to be very careful with our words because we can curse people with the things we say about them. And, and not just here and now, you know, what, what are you saying about Boris, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I, we've all got our views about Boris, but be careful what you say. You might criticise what he's doing. You might think what he's done is wrong. And, pro and we're right, you know, he's done a lot of wrong things. But careful what you actually say, how you, how you, whether you curse him or not. You know, because that's going to rebound into your own hearts and it will always come back on us. Jesus talks at one point about the, if, you, if, you, uh, if you do these things, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. Right? I, I do want to say that Judgment and hell are real, right? And uh, that's not very popular today in our modern culture. And, um, and our God wouldn't judge anybody and send them to hell, would he? Our loving God, right? Because in our modern society, if we have gods, we tend to create God in our own image. And our image is 
so moulded by the culture around us that we begin to create a God that, that fits our culture. But our God is not uh, in our own image. We are created in his image. And Jesus speaks more about judgment and hell than any other person in the Bible. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, speaks more about hell and judgment than anybody else in the Bible. Please, please, we might, you know, I'm, this, isn't, this isn't a sermon about hell, but it is real. And we've got to, we, it's, what we do has eternal consequences. When I was, um, when, when we first had, when coronavirus, COVID came into being and, and uh, we had our lockdowns and things like that, and, and it was a serious thing, wasn't it? I mean, it was quite, you, you were, we were bewildered. You didn't like to step out your front door. We were told not to unless we really had to. And it was bewildering. And I got it, I was convinced that, you know, I'm going to catch coronavirus and quite possibly die. Now, when you get that, I don't often feel like that, but I did. So I'd go on long walks and I would go, I'd start confessing every sin. I would go right back to, right the way through my life on a long walk and I'd be thinking of every sin that I'd done wrong and saying, Lord, please forgive me, please forgive me. Um, and it took quite a long time. And uh, because, I, because I was confronted, you know, with the reality that I might not, I might not be around for much longer. And I wanted to make sure that when I, when I go, I go, to, I go to the right place, not the wrong place. So I think that I just wanted to bring that in. Jesus just refers to it. But these things in our hearts are the sort of things that are going to take us to hell. You know, and and, and what, what, what we see on the outside is a bit less. And I don't want to put you in fear and trembling there. I've, you know, I'm, I'm the worst one, but we have a saviour. The answer to that is to humble ourselves, to give up the right to hold any grudge against anybody, right? to, make, to give up the right to be angry with somebody wrongly, to give up the right to, to give up those rights and humble ourselves because the offence that we've, we've caused is greater than theirs and we need to be right with God. So I would say, you know, if you're, if you're not a Christian, this is about, this is what Jesus came to do, is to set us free. Because we know that whether you believe in God or not, you've got your own standards in life and you've failed them. You can be quite sure of that. You can judge yourself by your own standards, even if you don't believe in God's standards. You will fail. And, and Jesus is saying, we all fail. So humble yourselves and come humbly before God. And then the process of salvation, redemption, begins in our lives. And we get our sins dealt with on the cross. We get forgiven. We get sent the Holy Spirit and begin to live out the life, the fruit of the Spirit. So, um, so the, the passage ends with, 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 with Jesus talking about, um, uh, you know, don't go, if, you've, if you want to make your offering at the altar and you've got something against somebody or a brother has something against you, leave it at the altar. He's really saying your religious observances, you can come to the prayer meeting, you can take communion, 
it means nothing if you've still got these things harbouring in your heart. Go and deal with them. Go and sort things out with your brother. You know, when we, when we, break, when we break bread together in communion, Paul's saying that, that it's, it's not whether, whether or not someone comes in who's, a, who's an unbeliever and takes communion. It's about whether you have something against somebody else is whether is is what is is you know communion is a place the great thing about communion is that we don't try and take communion if we've got something against one another so we go and sort it out first and then he finishes up with with the passage saying um you know if a guy's taking you to court sort it out on the way to court all right and what what i believe jesus is saying there do it now Right? Don't think, oh, I've got something in my heart. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll sort it out. I'll feel a bit better tomorrow. Do it now. Get these things right in your heart today. Do it now because tomorrow may be too late. Okay. So um, I'm going to finish there. It's um, questions for discussion or personal meditation. These are kind of why does Jesus consider the words that we say to be so important? Two. What do you understand Jesus means when he says one may be in danger of the fire of hell? And is there anyone in your life, past or present, that you have not been able to forgive and still causes you to feel anger? I want to, um, I just want to finish this we're going ahead to chapter 6, we have the Lord's Prayer. And it's a lovely prayer, isn't it, the Lord's Prayer? But, if, but the next verse after it says, says this, If you forgive others their sins against you, God will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, God will in no wise forgive you. So in other words, you can, you can completely cancel out your salvation. Because if you don't forgive others then you're not forgiven, therefore your sins still stand against you. So that's why it's so important that we, uh, that's so important that we get these things right. So I'll just pray and then we'll, we'll, I'll finish. Father, I just want to uh, thank you so much for these amazing words, that, that this amazing Sermon on the Mount that's so rich, so full, so full of promise. It, show, it, it, it just begins to reveal what we can be like, what the promise is that we will be like when we, when we surrender ourselves to you. And we just pray, Lord, that um, as we do, Father, that new things will happen in our lives, whether we're new Christians or whether we've been Christians for decades, May we learn new things, Lord, new things in our lives. May you just root out things that still need rooting out so that, Father, we can be completely free, which is what you want us to be, free, full of joy, lacking in condemnation, anger, resentment, bitterness, all gone from our lives, Lord. That is what we, we desire, Lord, and we just pray that you would help us move step by step into that place. Amen. Amen.